and just sharing your heart is just really meaningful for me. And you didn't know this, but when I was going to come up, um, I was going to say, what I love about our worship team, our band here at FIRE, is really there's two points. One is that we really understand God. We get to worship God, and what happens to me is I'm in the back reviewing what the message might be or talking about this person or that and getting ready to give some pastoral edge. It's like, no. God grabs me and says, worship the Lord. Take all distractions and put aside. Amen. And then the other one is just seeing gifted people. In fact, you know, it's like, how am I going to speak after you now? I mean, I mean, gosh, this is just fantastic. Um, we're going to miss you and Greg. We really thank you both. Uh, you've been a great part of the band, and, and we just wish you well, and we'll be praying for you. And we'll bring you up at the end and say some more, okay? As I just said, you know, it's always hard to follow very gifted people. It's been a while since I've had a chance to come up here and actually give the message. I've been part of announcements and kind of wrap up and here and there, but I've been away from the chance to share the message for fire over the summer because God has really raised up incredibly gifted people. And I have a confession to make, okay? I really hate following someone who can speak the word of God with amazing power. Joanne, lay down the word. And I'm a little intimidated, okay? Now, I know she was probably equally intimidated because she had to follow Mark Baldwin, who had a really good message, too. And Mark had to follow uh, Derek Richenberg, who opened up this summer series on Encounter with God, where he talked about uh, Romans 12, 1 and 3, transforming your mind. And that's kind of the real thing that we're looking at this whole summer. How can we transform our mind by soaking our brains in Scripture. But i got to tell you one other confession. All right? just, just a little confession. All right? I hate it when a speaker, especially someone who is new, not only speaks well because God has just anointed that individual like Joanne, but she comes up with really cool props. I mean, that sword was awesome. All right? I wish I had that sword I could wield it around. She was rocking for the Lord. But, you know, the more and more I got thinking about it, I do have a sword. In fact, we all have a sword. And that's what this summer series has been about. It's about the sword of God, His Word, His anointed scriptures to allow them to transform us, to change every thought, to bind every action, and allow Christ to really teach us how He wants us to live. Now, one of the good things about a, a devotional like Encounter with God is that it allows you to be able to understand prayer. It allows you to understand what the scriptures are saying because it unpacks it a little bit. It gives some application. But also it gives you a really good chance to look at a wide range of scripture. In fact, if you've been tracking with us for the summer, we started with Revelations, then we jumped to Isaiah. Now, I'm sorry, we started with Romans, then we jumped to Isaiah. Now we're in Revelation, and then we're going to be looking at Matthew and Malachi. And then in between on every Sunday, we read a psalm. So that gives you a really good broad stroke of Scripture. But the other challenge, actually, with a devotion like this is you have to track with it every day. You have to apply it to your life. You've got to allow God to really change the way you're acting and thinking. But it's also a challenge for those that have been leading life communities because we've got to get ready for that Thursday kind of devotion and be ready to unpack that for the life community groups. Or, like I have to do tonight, i got to be ready for today's passage. 
Now, I'm not going to ask the show of hands because I know you'll have your own confession why you didn't read it today, okay? You have plenty of time to do that tonight. But one of the things as you get ready to speak is you realize that I'd like to speak on a topic that I'm familiar with. I'd like to speak on a subject matter that could really relate not only to me, but maybe to the men and women of fire. What's neat about devoting ourselves to scripture that's chronologically put together is that we can't pick and choose the easy passages to talk about. So today is one of those difficult passages, Revelations 10, 1 through 11. This is the passage that talks about the mighty angel in the little scroll. Now before we get into the passage, I thought it would be really good to actually explain a little bit about Revelation. Because some of you may be like, man, I've read it, I don't understand it, it's really daunting, it's demanding, it's challenging. Others have uh, read it and they've read the Left Behind series and they're like, wow, I can see how it lines up, this is perfect, this is so exciting, this is God's wrath, it's coming back, he's going to judge the world, and how does that match up? Well, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. But Revelation was a book that was given to John. John actually says in, in Revelations 1, Jesus Christ gave him this message to give to the Christians, to give to the church. And from that message, John then was kind of teleported in to God's throne. He was left the earthly system and he went up into heaven and he had all these encounters. And what Joanne shared with us the last couple of weeks was that addressing the churches and really challenging the churches for purity and to overcome. Now, for us, when we think about purity and things to overcome, we might think about overcoming our apartment situation, overcoming our employment situation, overcoming maybe bad relationships we have with our parents. But this was really a heart matter that we're going to unpack tonight. Now, the other part of Revelation is the fact that it kind of mixes what is called literary genre. Okay, There's two different types of, so to speak, literature in this book. One is, is the prophecy and the other is the apocalyptic. Now, the apocalyptic, for many of us, might think, okay, I can relate to apocalypse. I've heard movies about it, like Apocalypse Now, or the movie Terminator, and some other things like that. Really, it's about the future. It's about the end times, the end of the world as we know it. But how do you get the prophecy part in there in the beginning? Well, prophecy in literature like that really is telling men and women to come back to God, to repent to leave the ways of the world, to leave sinful living, to lead ungodly habits and say, God, you're there. I love you. I ask for your freedom. Please give me your grace and renew that again in my life. Where the difference is with the whole revelation or the apocalyptic scripture, it's like judgment. It's God's judgment coming now or shortly to follow or in the future. And it's really the difference between prophecy in apocalyptic literature is the fact of the timing. A good scholar had said the following. He said that um, the prophets foretold the future that should arise out of the present. That's prophecy. Saying we need to repent because the future is coming where we'll need to have an account for God's judgment day. Okay? And then he says, while the apocalypse foretold the future should break out into the present. So it's like future events are now coming into our world today. So that's kind of the background of this. It was written by John. John was in prison on an island. It was really the beginning of the, the Roman Empire's persecution of the Christians. And all of a sudden it would get worse. 
And now he's writing this book to the, the Christians of the day and to the churches. And he's writing it for a couple of different reasons. He's writing it for one, to actually have them come back to solid faith in Jesus Christ. To repent. He's writing it for two, to encourage them that God's time is almost done with the world as we know it. That he's going to give the final judgment and then he's going to allow the world to be free from dismissal of his godly ways. He's going to be free of their, their pursuit of humanity. Going to be free of their flawed thinking and give that purity of worship like we experience where Jesus Christ can be Lord in all and bring together the heaven and the earth and allow it to be united. Free from sin. Free from corruption. Free from Satan. And then the third one, which I think is very relevant today, is the fact that Christians must endure in the midst of persecution. Now, one of the things that we may not realize in our kind of comfortable New England setting is what persecution looks like. In fact, I think many of us would consider persecution something like this. When the Yankees are beating up on the Red Sox, we think the Red Sox are being persecuted, okay? We might also think persecution might be somewhere where your mother or father are picking on you when you're living at home and they say, you got to be able to do some chores around the house before you go out with your friends. Now, some of you aren't living at home anymore and you're not in high school anymore, so that might be a distant reality, but some of us are still living at home and can relate to that. Persecution, though, on the worldwide level is very much what Revelations is addressing. In fact, this chapter, chapter 10, is what is called an interlude. It is describing the events that follow after God's judgment. In fact, he starts with the churches and he says, you have to overcome the world. You have to overcome the worldly ways and you have to be free and pure and ready to follow God. And then from that, it says that the judgments are coming and the trumpets, okay? We have first the seven seals and then we have the trumpets and the trumpets sound. And as each trumpet sounds, part of the world gets obliterated. Like, a third of the drinking water, a third of the grass in, in the agriculture, a third of the sea creatures, and they're all being destroyed by God's judgment. In the midst of this, people are trying to figure out what's going on. The Christians are saying, I believe in God and His, His world is coming to be able to put it right again, to be able to recreate the heavens and the earth together free from sin. But the people that don't believe in God they have one of two reactions. They're like, woe is me, I better repent and come to the Lord. Or, there's no God, this is just natural, natural catastrophes and we better try and figure out how to survive in this. And yet survival gets really tight, really thick and really thin. And that's kind of the setting we're at. So I want to read to you the scripture tonight and then we're going to unpack it. I'm going to ask you some questions and we're going to look at a video clip and we're going to talk about it. All right, so let me read to you Revelations chapter 10, 1 through 11. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hands. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel and I, then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land 
raised his right hand to the heavens and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all this that created all the heavens and all that is in them the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and he said there will be no more delay but in the days when the servant seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll he said to me take it and eat it it will turn your stomach sour but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey I took the scroll from the angel's hand and ate it it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth but when I had eaten it my stomach turned sour then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples nations languages and kings all right now everyone got it scripture easy right we can go home as you can see, this is actually a really difficult passage for us to unpack. And we've got to get caught up into the whole understanding that Revelation sometimes has symbols and imagery and it's in the context of the persecuted church in the empire of, of Rome. And here is John writing this letter to be able to share what's going to happen. God's judgment is coming. That the persecuted Christians will be delivered from the ruthless rule of the Romans but also that God's timing is coming and He's going to declare an end to the world as we know it. So hang in there, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter what suffering you experience, the salvation is true and God is supreme and He's Lord over all and you will be free from it. Now, for us who live in New England, I already shared that we really feel that there's difficulty in our lives that we really struggle maybe with, with the situation where we're living or we struggle with our, our employment or our desires to have a better career or we may have battle with depression or other things. Those are legitimate things that we face. They really are. But they pale in comparison to what some of our brothers and sisters are facing around the world. The persecuted church is happening right now and many of us don't realize it. And it came close to me about a month ago. There was a Korean woman who came into the chapel and she asked for prayer because her brother was taking a contingent to um, Afghanistan to be able to be a missionary group and be able to lead people to Christ. Very similar to our Jordanian team that is there now partnering with the church there to be able to care for the Iraqi refugees that have come over and the children there. Well, here is this Korean missionary band going into Afghanistan. And if you haven't been following world events, they actually got captured. Okay, And her brother, who is the, the minister of this group, was the first one killed. And the second man that was killed was his kind of protege or, or mentoree. He was the one to take over. Not protege, but he was the one to runner up to take over. And he was the second one killed. So I thought it would be really helpful for us to be able to put this into context is to get better educated because I know that the American media does very little about the persecuted church and what's happening globally. So I thought it would be really great to actually have Roger queue up for us 
from Voice of the Martyrs a chance to understand what's happening right now today. And then we'll finish looking at this uh, chapter out of Revelations. So with that, Roger, if we can go ahead and see the clip from Voice of the Martyrs, that would be great. Imagine, Islamic soldiers force your 10-year-old son to gather wood for a fire. The soldiers pressure him to convert to Islam. When he refuses, he's thrown on the burning wood he collected and left to die. They told me I would be released if I became a Muslim. I told them that was not possible. I am a Christian, so they threw me on the fire. Your son escapes, but the scars remain, a reminder of his sacrifice. Imagine... Your teenage daughter goes to Bible camp. On the second day, the students are attacked. One of the attackers secures her hands behind her back, while another holds a piece of broken glass to her stomach. She's told to deny Christ. I did not answer him, so he pressed the glass harder against me. Do you believe your God can help you? He asked. Dripped with fear, she cries out, Help me, Lord, I do not want to deny you. Imagine... Your pastor has refused to register his church with the government. During the service, he's dragged from the church and beaten by the local police. When the officers find a Bible hidden in his shirt, he's beaten with it. After returning home, I felt pain all over my body. It was almost numb at the beginning, but later became so painful that I could not sleep. It is the fifth time he's been arrested. If he's caught again, the police say they will kill him. Every day, thousands of Christians are persecuted for their faith. Hundreds are martyred, about one every three minutes. They're not heroes or statistics. They're family. In over 40 nations around the globe, our family is assaulted for their testimony of Jesus Christ. In most instances, the persecution could have been averted if they had simply denied Christ. But they didn't, and they won't. In Sudan, an Islamic army is set on jihad, or holy war, has systematically targeted Christians. Death and suffering can be seen throughout the countryside. Countless Christians are being displaced within their own country. Fleeing from persecution, they've lost everything, often arriving at refugee camps with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. In spite of heavy persecution, the church in Sudan continues growing at astonishing rates. Many of the believers bear the scars of their faith, but they also bear a testimony to God's faithfulness. Over 500 churches have been destroyed in Indonesia. On the island of Ambon, Christians have been massacred in a so-called religious cleansing by radical Muslims. Facing increased persecution, pastors in Jakarta have encouraged their congregations to stand firm, confident that their suffering is a prelude to coming revival. With the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, many have hailed its defeat. But Christians in North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, or China would disagree. Hmong villagers have been imprisoned in Vietnam and Laos after converting to Christianity. Some have had boiling water poured down their throats for simply possessing a Bible in their own language. The Hmong tribe is the largest in Southeast Asia, numbering 10 million. Meeting secretly in homes, more than 2 million have recently committed their lives to Christ. The persecution facing our brothers and sisters is not a human tragedy. It's a spiritual reality facing the body of Christ. We may not be able to stop the attacks, but we can ease their pain. Through prayer, encouragement, and practical assistance, we can fellowship in their suffering. 
we can show them that they are not forgotten. It's hard to ignore their pain after you hear their cries. As we just saw, you can see the devastation that's happening to humanity. To the brothers and sisters who call on Christ as their Lord and Savior, it is real and it's happening, and it's happening at incredibly increasing rates. So in a protected country like America, where we celebrate our freedoms every day, and oftentimes, like I asked in our icebreaker, we take advantage of those or we take them for granted. We can't comprehend what our global brethren are dealing with. We sit there and we get upset if we're in line to get a Starbucks coffee or to get gas for our car. They're desperately trying to get food. They're trying not to get beaten or killed. It's the setting that they experience that this book in Revelations is addressing. What gives them courage and hope to not denounce Christ? It is the fact that God is supreme and in control. And let me kind of just unpack this passage for you. And hopefully from that, it can answer some questions that we may have. And then what are the questions, for example? You may have questions like, who is this mighty angel? What's the mighty angel's purpose? What did the mighty angel say? You might have other questions like, why is there a little scroll mentioned? How come he ate the little scroll? Why was it sweet in the mouth? but bitter in his stomach? Those are all great questions that we're going to have a chance to maybe unpack together. So let me just kind of walk it through as we go and explain things. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. Some people can't comprehend the size of of an angel like this. But as we read on, he has one foot on land and one foot on sea. This is a gigantic angel. Okay. Now, when we can't comprehend something and we get a vision or we might see something that we've never seen before and we try and describe it, what happens? We're often at a loss for words. We're dumbfounded or awestruck. We just can't articulate what we're seeing. I have a feeling this is what, what John was experiencing. He no longer was up in heaven. He's now back down on earth because we know that the angel has descended down from heaven to stand on the earth. And this symbology is representing that God is sovereign and He has a message for everyone in the sea, everyone on land. In other words, the whole world, God is going to speak to humanity. And then we read on and it says, He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Now, I can't comprehend a roar of a lion unless the lion was here or we were watching a movie or it's uh, one of the mo ma major motion pictures where they have the lion roar at the beginning. But that's like would be like a cat going meow compared to the roar of this angel. We're talking a volume that probably shook 
the world when the angel spoke. But then the angel gets drowned out. It says, when he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. He shouts out to the world, and from heaven, thunderous voices, seven, which is a representative of God's word, God himself, talking to the angel, talking like Jesus Christ to all that would hear and rock the foundations of this planet. A magnificent image. Something that we just cannot comprehend. But you know what happens? A confusing thing. Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now let's just hold there and let's unpack this a little bit. Okay? Who's the angel? Some commentators think the angel could be Jesus Christ. Others say it might be Gabriel. Others might say it was one of God's inner circle angels that were not only taking care of the throne and kind of the holy of holies in the worship center, but really kind of a guard, a warrior, okay? Now, I don't know what you think, but we can kind of understand a little bit with the rest of the passage and all of Revelations to rule out that it's Jesus Christ. In fact, nowhere in the book of Revelation does John make reference that Christ is an angel. Okay? So he has references of other angels. In fact, chapter 5, there's another mighty angel that comes down and gives the scroll with the seven seals. Okay? So it could be the same angel from there. It could be the angel Gabriel, but the only difference is we don't get such a magnificent image of Gabriel in the Old Testament. We don't get much except that people fell down in awe and wonder and they were terrified. That's another difference here. John does not get, woe is me, I can't even stand in the presence of this angel. So there's something different about this mighty angel from God. And then he's talking. He talks like the roar of a lion. Do we know what he said? No, it's not recorded here. Do we know what God responds back to the angel in the seven thunders? No, it's not recorded here. In fact, as we read on, he's told to not write it down, not to record it. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get a message that you, one, can't comprehend... Or two, you're like fearful trying to record it and write it down so that you can be able to tell other people about it. But then God says, no, this is not to go to them. Perhaps God is protecting us. Just perhaps God is saying they're not ready for what's going to happen. The seventh trumpet is going to follow. And the seventh trumpet, if you read Revelation, does not disclose the type of plague on the world. It is that horrific. And God, perhaps, is protecting us because we cannot handle it. So now let's find out what happens next. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. Now, again, I feel that this is a really relevant passage for people in their 20s and 30s. Because so oftentimes, and, and Nate was kind of sharing this with the whole I or iPod 
kind of meism stance that we're at, that we can't comprehend an almighty God that created the heavens and the earth. We can't comprehend a God that created you in His image, that loves you and has a future and a hope and a truth for you, because we get so caught up into our materialism. We get so caught up into our TV shows, our movies. We get caught up in our identity of what we wear that we just don't really feel the, the all-awesome, consuming presence of a mighty God. And yet here is a mighty figure. We're talking an angel, like quadrillion stories high. I mean, he's standing on land, and he's standing on the water, and he's like thundering out. He is a huge, impressive figure. And yet, what is his response? God, you created everything. You have created everything. In my allegiance, I commit my devotion to you. He is making a pledge. In fact, he's giving an example for all of us. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, we are to pledge and make a devotion to him each and every day. So that like we show from the voice of the martyrs, that if our faith were ever to be tested, we would not renounce Christ. So then he goes on and he says, there's no more delay. In other words, again, put yourself over in Sudan. Put yourself in chains, shackled, under the Muslim persecution. You have not eaten for days or weeks. And you know that Christ loves you and that you're not going to renounce Jesus Christ that you're going to hold on to your faith and you can feel God listening to your desperate cries through your prayers. And you know other people are praying for you. But really, on a human level, you want it to end. God, bring, bring this world, this chaos to a close and free us, free humanity, free the world from the decreation of sin and allow it to come. And the angel here is saying, it is coming. This is it. And John's recording here is saying that the future is about to take place and it will continue to take place. In fact, for them, the Roman Empire did fall apart and the Christian persecution did eventually end. But also what's so neat about the book of Revelation is it's not only looking at that historical time, it's looking at the end time the time of God's judgment. Then the voice, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. Let's just talk about the scroll a little bit. I said that in chapter 5, there was also another scroll, a bigger scroll, and it had seven seals on it. Okay? This is a small scroll that's open in the angel's hand. Now, why is there a difference? You may or may not have been tracking with this. You may not even have considered this before. Okay? But the difference is perhaps the first scroll was actually the whole Bible, the whole Word of God, giving the seven seals and showing that there's a culmination to God's plan that God had created humanity to worship Him 
And with the fall in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve eating the fruit and therefore disobeying God, sin entered the world and from then on, evil ran rampant and got worse with each generation. Okay? But the seven seals talked about there would be an end of evil. There would be a culmination of God's grace and love. And through His mercy, He would put an end to that evil. End to Satan. End to his demons. End to your sinfulness. And from that, liberate all of His creation. Whether it's His creation of humanity or His physical creation of the world. And bring it back into perfection. Now, this little manuscript or this little scroll in the angel's hand is actually partly the, the judgments. It's probably the, the end times. It's like giving the Christians of the time, this is what you're going to expect. Okay? So now it's interesting. This is a vision, remember. John's not actually experienced this on the physical level. He's getting a vision. It's like a magnificent dream that he's encountering. Okay? And let's read on. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. Now some people have said, why is he instructed to go take it? After all, isn't God talking to him? Isn't God using the angel as a messenger of the voice of the Lord to instruct him not only to take it in but to give it to other Christians? So why does he have to actually walk over and take it? Because God wants him to grab hold, to actually physically connect with it, to actually make it become part of his DNA, to intermix with it. It's like if I have a Bible and I say it's the sword of God and I have it on my bookshelf and I never actually go and take it off the bookshelf and open up and read it, it's kind of powerless when it's on the bookshelf. But when I read it and I digest it, and I reread it, and I revisit it, and I share what I'm reading with other people, what happens to the Word of God? It becomes alive. It can transform lives. It can save people. It can take people away from their daily living and radically change their futures. That's the power of God. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Okay, bring on the questions, all right? This is a typical part of the passage that I think a lot of people have questions on. I could be wrong, but what do you have questions about being sweet in his mouth? Do you have any questions on that? Any thoughts? How about turning his stomach sour? Anyone? Shout it out if you have any questions on this. All right, I'll ask the questions. Why is it sweet to his mouth? Why would this scroll be sweet to his mouth? He couldn't eat the whole thing. That's a great logical deduction. If it tasted bitter in his mouth... He'd spit it out. He wouldn't want to eat the whole thing. That's good. That's good. Okay? Any other thoughts? Why is it sweet? Represents sin? Hmm, that's interesting. Sweet, tantalizing, a temptation. Okay? Maybe at first it seems good to him. And that's a good, it's good, but the result is bitter. 
Right, right. In fact, you're, you're jumping ahead of me. That's good. That's really good. Okay, talking about the bitterness. Okay. We'll stay on the sweetness. All right. Any other thoughts on why is it sweet in the mouth? David. Gives hope. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. Two things to note as we talk about the sweetness of the scroll. One is that there's two other books of the Bible that have very similar imagery. and Also, their literature is called apocalyptic literature. The book of Daniel and the book of Isaiah. In fact, there's two separate accounts in both those books where they're instructed to eat and that the scroll, the word of God, will be sweet in their mouth. And like I just shared, when we take the book, the sword of God, off the shelf and we open it up and we read it, we get encouraged. There's hope. There's truth that gets revealed and we become able to stand up straighter, walk with our heads up because God's word is encouraging. It is sweet to the taste. It's sweet to our hearts. And it is amazing. And then there was a Interesting thing that I uncovered, that in the uh, Jewish culture, as the Jews would instruct the young boys in the whole Hebrew writing system, they would actually create a flour and honey mixture, and they would teach them how to write their letters. And when the um, teacher would call on a young Jewish boy or man and say, what's that letter and how do you pronounce it and what words go with it? If they got the letter correct, For their reward, they could actually lick off that honey and flour mixture. So the word of God was truly sweet to them as they licked it off. Now, I never had really understood that before. But that gave me a deeper understanding and appreciation of why God's word could be really, really sweet. But it's a chance for us to understand that in this passage, it really is saying that God's hope, the final judgment is coming down and don't worry, the end is coming. You won't have to hang on any longer. But then, as you shared, it becomes bitter in the stomach. It turns the stomach sour to the point that he wanted to vomit. He wanted to puke and regurgitate the scroll. Why? Because they were still in the midst of persecution. The end had not come. In fact, He has to tell them it's going to get worse. Now, if we share at the beginning of the things that we enjoy, and I know a couple people said the nice Christian things, and I I, I think that's really great, and and I'm appreciated that my freedoms are like I can come to Grace Chapel, and I can come to fire, I can hang out and go to the beach with my Christian friends, and those are all great freedoms that we have here in America. But I think there are a lot of other things, you know. I'm free to watch a movie. I'm free to drive a car. I'm free to go to the beach in the first place. But as we shared on the video clip, not everyone in the world has those freedoms. And there's going to become a day. And this is what kind of gets my stomach all in knots because I knew tonight would be a hard message. And I really pray for the Lord to reveal it clearly. There's going to be a day that we're going to lose our freedoms. 
we're going to lose the opportunity to maybe get our Starbucks coffee and then drive with our windows down heading towards Hampton Beach. There might be a day when we have to crowd in to a dwelling of a house with 15 other people. And we send someone out who's the most courageous in the bunch to try and get food for us without getting caught or killed or beaten. Or there might be a group of us that say, you know what? The persecuted church should involve me. I'm going to go to Sudan. I'm going to go to Afghanistan. I'm going to go and not make a stand, but I'm going to be part of God's love and compassion. And I'm going to go and strengthen and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ so that they know they're not alone in the struggle. That is what John is addressing in this book. What God gave him for a vision. Now in the close of this chapter, in the final verse, it goes from revelation back to prophecy. You must prophesy against you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is really the culmination of this chapter. This is kind of almost the end of this interlude between the six previous trumpets and the seventh final trumpet. He's saying, men and women of Christ, men and women of the church, now that you have overcome, now that you realize you had to recommit your lives to Christ, you had to recommit the way that you are living and purify yourselves through repentance and holy confession, now it's time to actually go back out into this dark world, into this sin-riddled place, and stand up for your faith and prophesy, proclaim that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that He is alive and well, and that He is your Lord and Savior, and He wants to extend the same forgiveness through, that you receive through confession to your colleagues, through your neighbors, through your family members. And do not succumb to the persecution. Do not let the culture minimize you or marginalize you or push you aside. Because that's really what happens, I think. I think from a, a, a typical modern-day American Christian we don't really share our faith because we're afraid that we'll be considered irrelevant. We don't share our faith because we're afraid that no one will want to be our friends. We don't share our faith because we're not really living on the end of the world lifeline system like the persecuted brethren that we have in other parts of the world, in China, in Korea, in the Sudan. It's interesting that if you listen to the statistics it said that the church is on the rise in the countries that have the greatest persecution. Out of the blood of martyrs comes revival. And what I've been hearing from brothers and sisters in fire is that we want to experience revival. And there's a couple of things that precede revival. And New England is a great place to have revival. We had one of the great awakenings here, and then years later we had a second great awakening. And that went around the world, and many people came to Christ, and missions were started and went around the globe. It's amazing history that we have. And I really believe in the year 2007, God wants to do something significant in and through the men and women of fire. 
And I think it's going to be through God's mighty revival. The first thing that precedes revival is prayer. We have to pray that God will come, that God will change our lives. God will allow us to be his men and women of his force to go and talk to people for Christ. But out of that prayer time has to come some work. As Julian said at the very beginning, you know, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what past you hang on to. But there has to be an act of confession to be able to say, Lord, I haven't been living right. I lust. I masturbate. I'm sleeping around. I cheat on my taxes. I embezzle funds from my company. I speed. I cut people off. I fly them the bird. Okay? Whatever it is, there's business that we have to do. We have to confess. We have to ask God to show us the areas that need to be repented of. And then we have to receive through that desire revival that not only will you, not only will we, not all of us be forgiven, but others can be forgiven. And then as that same grace that God gives us to forgive us of our sinful living, we can offer that to others by our transformed life, by the ways that we walk humbly in front of others. Because God has called us out to be different because he has truly given us a second chance. That second chance living allows us to give other people a second chance. So that also gives us the boldness and the power and the passion to be able to proclaim the truth that the gospel is here and now and it's not irrelevant. That Jesus Christ not only defeated death and rose from the grave, he has given us an eternity, eternal salvation. And through that, we can claim that as truth right now to be able to share with other people. Because as I shared uh, up in Andover last uh, Sunday, there are so many people that have not read the Bible, don't understand God, that God is one in three, that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many people are clueless to the true gospel. And they've been kind of culturalized through the, the pluralistic culture that I can believe whatever I want to believe. I can have my own moral system because it's really what I feel is right. But in that culture, in our culture, what happens is people continually to do things that harm them, that separate them from God. And as this prophet, as this man of God, he was saying to all those that would read the letter, all those that would hear it in church, even throughout history, know that God is sovereign, He's in control, no matter what persecution you may be feeling, that God is going to bring this judgment and the world is going to be ended as you know it and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Evil, Satan and his demons will be defeated. And from that you'll be liberated. But while you're waiting for the final trumpet to sound, know that you must stand your ground. And you must be able to stand it in the, the posture of truth that you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. That God loves you and He loves the people you work with. He loves the people that you're hanging out with on the weekends. Maybe if you're on a soccer team over the summer or a softball team, He loves your, your fellow athletes. And he wants to be able to allow his truth to come to them through you, through me, through all of us. So as we desperately seek revival, 
make sure that we're praying for revival. Make sure that we're confessing the areas that were flawed. Make sure we're receiving grace. And then make sure we're extending that grace so that we can stand in the face of any ridicule, persecution, or harm. Because the power of God is behind us. And as we befriend people and they start to ask us questions and they start to seek the truth and they really want to have a Bible study and they want to talk about the Lord and you start to unpack Scripture to them, it will taste as sweet as honey to their mouth. And they will want more. You know that inside, if they don't accept the Word of God because your stomach is sour, that judgment is coming. And we want to let that judgment be held with wisdom and responsibility of when to disclose that. And only God knows when, and only God has the time, and only God knows what that judgment will look like. But the good news is that no matter how it plays out, we know it will be temporary. And that for all eternity, we have salvation and hope in the Lord. So go out and prophesy to many people, nations, and kings. Prophesy about Christ, His second coming. Let people know that Jesus is alive and well. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for tonight. And uh, it's amazing to look at a difficult passage and to know that you're in control and you're in charge. And we submit to your love. We submit to your lordship. And God, I just feel a heavy burden right now for all the men and women, children, that profess you as Lord, as Jesus Christ, Savior, ruler of all, that are being persecuted, that are in shackles, that are starving, that are homeless, that are trusting you and will not denounce Christ. I pray, Jesus, that you will strengthen them, encourage them, show your love to them, send men and women to them from other parts of the world so that they can be nurtured and cared for. And I pray, Jesus, for the 20, uh, 19 Koreans left in, in Afghanistan from this missionary band that they will be released from captivity and that they will no longer experience any persecution or harm. And I pray that their example of courage and faith will be infectious to the global Christian family. And God, I think about our team in Jordan. I pray that you will use them in a mighty way, not only to care for the children that have come and, and do things like vacation Bible school, but that they will strengthen the church there and that they will stand like a beacon of hope in a desperate land. And I pray that you'll bring them home safely so they can teach us more about this subject. And I pray as we close tonight, Lord, that you'll allow us to go out into this world ready to be men and women of God, proclaiming the truth of Christ, ready to stand boldly and mightily because we know you're behind us and you empower us and you laid the road before us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.